I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Berry Baggio to my Budapest Baggio. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. For anyone who doesn't understand that reference, it'll become a bit more apparent in the news later on. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Ryan. I'm, I'm very good. Looking forward to the weekend there. How are you? Oh, yeah. I'm also looking forward to the weekend. I'm still struggling to get over the round of games we've had this week. It, oh, yeah. It seems to be getting... Like I seem to say this every week, and obviously I'm going to say it because we like to hype up the Championship as much as possible, but every game week we have seems to have a ridiculous amount of results that just change the landscape of everything. Do you know what I mean? Chaotic. Yeah, chaotic. It, 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 we get to that point of the season now, it's definitely that point of the season where, as I say, games get quite chaotic. A lot of goals, a lot of desperation, teams on the beach. There's a lot of variables uh, at play during this, this yeah. period. But every game this week, I think, has meant something. I think I'm right in saying. I can't think of any games that were particularly dead rubbers apart from a couple, which you could argue. But every other game has really had something with a high stakes and has ended up, you know, sending shockwaves around <laughs> the rest of the division. Uh, but this is the number one championship-specific podcast, his second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yeah, as, as I was just saying, we've got a massive round of games, ladies and gentlemen. The relegation battle looking tight as ever at the moment. Um, we'll talk about that a bit later on. But the playoff race in particular, there's six points separating third and tenth. <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> it is a proper tussle between some teams. Um, and it's really, really hard to call. And the t- race for the top two is that boat back open as well. We'll talk about that in the show, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the second tier. We'll go through all the matches from the midweek games. We'll talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. And then we'll finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz right at the end. But before we jump into the show, may I tell you, listener, about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of this episode. They've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier. You can get a welcome offer of bet £10, get £30, plus 10 free spins. UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus, please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tools. We'll begin with West Brom v Fulham. One that you'd have thought would have been a promotion clash at the start of the season, but it's not to be because of West Brom's dreadful recent form. However, West Brom ran out the 1-0 winners and even more surprising, Justin, they fully deserved it. Yeah, fully deserved it. Absolutely peppered Fulham. Um, They were really, really good here, which is not something we've said, I don't know, since October. A long time. A long time, yeah. Um, So it was a really impressive performance and everybody seemed on it. Um, 
defence was resolute. They they restricted Fulham to I think it was one shot on target, um, and and the attack was was quite fluid and quite <clears throat> quite creative, which is something that we've we've expected of West Brom for, uh, pretty much all season. But obviously it's 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 stuttered a recent uh, recent weeks and maybe even months. But yeah, really really impressive performance here from West Brom and and one that convinces you that there is life in this team. Yeah, and it's. I mean, you can rule them out of the top six, but this certainly makes you think oh, they could they could potentially put a late run together. Well, they restricted Fulham to just one shot, which I can't recall happening at all this mm-hmm. season. I may be wrong there. One shot on target, I should say. Um, but Fulham just never got going, did they? And at no point in this game did I think to myself, West Brom are in trouble here. Mitrovic had that one glorious chance right at the end, but... Aside from that, West Brom are brilliant and comfortable. The question is, where has this West Brom side been for the past four months? Because if they put in a, you know, four or five performances like this, and the other performances were, you know, better than they were, hmm. then they'd still very much be in the race for the top six at the very least, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. It, this was this was um, a performance with with character. It was resolute. Um, they were creative. Carl and Grant and Callum Robinson were linking up like they were sort of again in, in September, October time. And and yeah, this this really was a performance that makes you think this this could have been a very good team because the quality of players there, we know that. Um, it's just they they haven't clicked at all, um, especially as I say since since the end of September. So yeah, deeply frustrating that a performance like this is, is taking so long. But as I say, one thing they need to do is is, is get that consistency of performances together to be able to convince us and supporters and everybody associated with West Brom that they are capable of at least putting a run together this season with a view to being a promotion candidate next season. Yeah, Jake Livermore was dominant in the middle of the park. It's the best performance I've seen from him this season, without a doubt. Carl Bartley pocketed Alexander Mitrovic, and <laughs> if you do that, you go a long way to stopping Fulham, don't you? Taylor Gardner-Hickman again. Was class. I, I can't understand how he's not played more this season. Maybe Ishmael was perhaps worried about upsetting the apple cart in playing him instead of an experienced mm. player. But he's looked such a talent. And the more I see of him, the more promising a prospect he looks. And he's got so much energy and he's just a really tidy player, Justin. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a talent. <laughs> and it, it's quite striking that every time he's played and every time I've, I've watched him play as well, I mean, West Brom are on telly every week, so I've pretty much got a season ticket at the Hawthorns. <laughs> yeah, every time I've watched him play, he's been he's been brilliant. Um, I've not seen him put in a bad game yet. And, and as I say, West Brom fans, please correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, not seen him put in a bad display yet. He's, he's a top, top player and a really should be a highly rated prospect and, and one that West Brom fans should get excited about. And West Brom have got a very good academy, so... Um, it's quite quite interesting that there haven't been more come through um, this season. But as you say, that that could be down to Ishmael and obviously Bruce needing to favour experienced players to get this this run of form going. Well, both managers have had a bit of reluctance to play him in, in midfield because he is traditionally a right back, but he's such a talent now. You'd be doing yourself a disservice if you don't put him in midfield. But yeah, he's been really, really good recently and he's been key to West Brom's I say up to and it's been two or three games but yeah. you know it's better than it was because it was you know rock bottom not too long ago um, I have heard West Brom's fans say they're not completely out of the playoff race yet we're not opening that door just yet are we Justin? 
I don't I don't think so. As I say, I think they've got to put a run together of performances, not just results, but performances. They, they'd have to form- win pretty much every game for the rest of the season, wouldn't they? Exactly. And then there's the three extra games for the playoffs that you've got to play, which it could take a lot out of you. Um, but we're talking Aston Villa of like 18, 19 season, aren't we? That sort of run. But even then, their run started probably mid-Feb, early Feb. Um, so it's, yeah, they've, they've, they've got a lot to do, probably a little bit too much to do. But as I say, I think for them this season, it's about putting performances in to, to get as close to the playoffs as they can. If they've got a chance, then they've got a chance. But I think um, focus has got to turn to next season, definitely. Yeah, you, you look at it now and they're six points off, which isn't the biggest gap in the world because they've got so many teams in front of them. They're counting on a lot of teams dropping points and that's mm-hmm. why it just seems a bit unrealistic, quite frankly. But after the game against Fulham, that was the first time I've seen positivity after a West Brom game in a yeah. long time. <laughs> and if they can keep that flow going from now until the end of the season, then it will do them a world of good heading into next season and just change the whole mood around the club because mm-hmm. we all know that the quality of player they've got there and if they head into next season feeling positive with a strengthened squad as well over the summer then yeah West Brom will be right back in the promotion mix of things next season uh, so it's a draw and a loss this week for Fulham they've basically gone off the rails ever since we mentioned that the points record is still possible <laughs> but they were poor here they were the better side against Barnsley but weren't you know, fluently astonishing. And I think it brings about some of the things Fulham have got to work on when they're back in the Premier League, assuming they are back in the Premier League next season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, You can also add that perhaps there was a little bit of complacency as well um, in the last two performances, probably an expectation that they're going to score. Um, And as I say, I think we pointed out not too long ago that Fulham are very good at scoring in the first half and perhaps the longer the game goes on where they're not scored, um, the expectation grows that they're going to put one in uh, and then another and then another. So a little bit of complacency maybe, as you say, there's still a lot of work for them to do for um, for next season for them to become a, a steady uh, Premier League side. Well, I have seen fatigue blamed for this loss, but Fulham have got more quality and depth than any other squad in the division by far, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure that can be particularly blamed, to be honest. But they've definitely got to add certain areas when there are back in the Prem, aren't they? Assuming they do get there. It's strange because Fulham have been so dominant this season and they've made the mistake of signing too many players in the past, haven't they, when they have got back to the Premier League. And I'd say they shouldn't do that again this summer. But when you actually think about it, Carvalho is probably going, so they'll need a new number 10. Will Nico Williams stick around for another season? Who knows? But if not, they will need a new right back. They 100% need a new centre-half. Tim Ream, I love the guy, but he, he he's not gonna if if they have him as one of their first choice centre halves in the Premier League next season they're gonna struggle. I'd say they need a new left winger personally. I won't be comfortable with Cabano as my first choice, despite him having a good season. Yeah. Um, and I won't be surprised if they brought in another left back as well because there have been a few question marks over Anthony Robertson over the course of the season. So that's half a team already. So it's gonna be a very interesting summer for Fulham and whether they stay up or not will once again depend on what they do in the summer. But they've got to be sensible. I don't think they need an, a huge overhaul no. at all. Uh, let's move on, Justin. The late equaliser from Tom Ince saw Reading draw one all away at Bournemouth, and what a strike as well. It's he's got that quality, hasn't he? I saw a lot of Reading fans pleading for him to be taken off on social media and obviously puts that puts that away so obviously keeps keeps them quiet but he's he's a good player he really is a good player and his left foot can be incredibly dangerous and one of the best in the division um when he's on it and and 
quite rightly here he was on it against Bournemouth but yeah an absolute an absolutely brilliant strike and 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 Reading fully deserved the the point and perhaps on the balance of the second half and a dip in Bournemouth's performance probably maybe deserved three points yeah Reading were brilliant here you could make a good argument that it was their best performance since what October <laughs> and <laughs> they, they did they did win the two games um around the time when Panovic left and Ince came in mm. but here they were phenomenal and they fought really hard I will admit in the first 20 minutes when Bournemouth scored their goal I thought this could be a walk in the park for Scott Parker's side and a bad day for Reading but it was anything but for Bournemouth to create so little against the worst defence in the division heading into this week Mm -hmm. that is shocking isn't it and now Bournemouth have come out the other side of this run of games against three teams fighting relegation Peterborough, Derby and Reading all at home they've picked up four points Four points. If you said at the start of this run, four points, you'd said, okay, that's a cause for concern. And that's exactly where I'm sat now, Justin. It just adds more doubt to whether this Bournemouth side can get automatic promotion over the line, doesn't it? Yeah, you're spot on. And I think I said this a couple of weeks ago and I ended up getting pelts from Bournemouth fans. Um, this was a this was a massive week for for Bournemouth, and for my money, they needed to come out of it with with nine points. They needed to show the ruthlessness um, <clears throat> and aggressiveness that Fulham show in, in games in that final third, and they just they just haven't. They're a very tepid team. They're very very nice. They're very. I'm trying to I don't know. You can almost liken them to quite a a bit of a, a mid-table team where they, it feels like they're not playing for much. Um, and I don't know whether that's down to style of play or, or personality of the players and, and Scott Parker's um, imprint on this side, but it's it's just not good enough for a team pushing for the top two. Um, and, and and for me, they, they need to do more. They need to do more to convince everybody that they are a team capable of doing that. And as I say, they're, they're a team that do concede um, good chances the, the, the data shows it I've, I've said this before um, and they rely too heavily on, on, on individual quality and that, that dip after that first 20 minutes first half an hour was, was so so poor and as I say you've got to build on you've got to build on good spells and I don't think Bournemouth have done that this season at all it, It's not the first time it's happened either where Bournemouth have started really well and then as the game's gone on they've just let it drift away from them they seem to have a habit of playing some really nice football in spells but it doesn't create much in terms of golden chances. Um, and it just adds more concern about whether they will finish in the top two. They, they've been far from convincing, haven't they? And mm-hmm. the obvious issue with the race for the top two is that there aren't that many realistic challenges. So there's a good chance that Bournemouth could still end up crawling mm-hmm. over the line. But we keep going back to this this horrible final nine games. And that's not even including Huddersfield this weekend, by the way. So... There's plenty of doubts um, and that's not been changed at all when it should have, when you've had this three games where they should be getting nine points. If they're being deadly serious about going up um, automatically, that should be nine points. But they've been poor in two out of those three games, haven't they? Really poor. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, Scott Parker said himself that they're not a 90-minute team and the amount of money they've spent, it's, it's quite... Yeah, incredible, really. It's really, really bad. Not good at all. No, definitely not. We'll talk more about the relegation battle as a whole in a sec, Justin, but I'm guessing this gives you more encouragement for Reading to stay up, which you've been banging the drum for plenty recently. Yeah, I've got I've got the belief that no one else has. Um, and it, <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and it, it is more to do with the quality of play that they've got compared to the likes of Barnsley and Derby. I think the way it's going to play out is, is Reading are going to... 
um, claw claw points. However, however they can do it, um, they're going to claw points, and it's just going to be enough to to keep them up. While Barnsley, I think, will pick up points at home. They won't pick them up away in Derby. Um, yeah, so probably the same for Derby. But again, they're relying heavily on their home form as well. Simpson to Bournemouth, which I don't think is enough. You've got to grind. You've got to grind your away games out. And Reading have shown that they can do that against Bournemouth. And if they can do that in a few more away games towards the end of the season, they will. They will stay up. Barnsley's revival continued. They beat Bristol City 2-0. Two early set-piece goals were enough and Barnsley were just simply solid again, Justin. That's all you've got to be, I think, um, especially if you get those two early goals. And I think Barnsley, Barnsley showed that. One of the things they are good at, they didn't really have to do in this game, which is getting the likes of Domingos Kina in the game and um, I mean Bassi and as I say, that there's two early goals from set of pieces killed the game. Bristol City almost handed them, handed them the three points, which I'm sure Nigel Pearson would be quite happy with. But it was a really, really good all-round performance from from Barnsley. One of the things you've got to do when you go two 0 up very early in the game is is manage the game, and they and they did that really, really well. And I think that's something that you've got to give um, Poirier's bargain and the team credit for. Yeah, Queener was great again. The guy I don't think has put in less than a 7 out of 10 performance since joining Barnsley. And for a winger to be doing that as well, a position which you obviously associate with inconsistency most of the time, he's been brilliant um, for, in, for Barnsley over these past few weeks. The two standout performance, though, were Michael Hellick and Mads Anderson at the back. It's worth remembering they were regulars for Barnsley last season in the playoff run. It was sensational, but the past, well, since Barnsley's upturn in form, they've been back to their very best here. Not too surprising, really, considering Helix a Polish international and, play, mm. and I think plays just about every week for Poland. Um, well, not every week, every time there's an international <laughs> break, I should say. But those two are two really, really good centre-halves, aren't they? They are, and they've got everything they that you need to be a success at this at this level and maybe even further, they're, they're good with the ball at the feet. They, they obviously can read the game, um, but they're two very good physical defenders as well. And as I say, you've got one defender there with with international pedigree, and you've got another Mads Anderson who I wouldn't say he's too far away from the national team, but um, I'm sure he'd be in the reckoning if he keeps putting in consistent performances. So yeah, they're, they're two very good players, and again, you've got to credit the Barnsley recruitment. Uh, team for getting those in. It's a shame they haven't been able to do that in every single position on the pitch, sustain uh, and and sustaining that. So yeah, really good performance from those two. But you expect nothing less from from two players who were so brilliant last season. Yeah, they they were absolutely brilliant last season. People will point out um, why we're saying this about two defenders who have been part of one of the worst teams in the division this season. But it's been going forwards where the main problems have been. Surely haven't been you know a brick wall at the back, but they have um, really stood out in. Mm-hmm. Um, Barnsley's recent run of games. Another player who's really stood out is Carlton Morris, but he went off injured in this game. Poyos Bargi is hoping it's not too serious, but he has been key to Barnsley's recent turnaround. Um, again, we'll talk um, about the relegation battle as a whole in the next game, but just a quick word on Bristol City, Justin. And it's something that I think we've said quite often, you just never know which Bristol City side's going to turn up, do you? Yeah, you'd be furious as a Bristol City fan, um, and it is rage-inducing. It makes you sit in your chair and and just stare silently uh, at the telly or or at the pitch and just you know grit your teeth like really hard. Like just what just what team what team is going to show up? And I think um, 
it's something that needs to be addressed quite early next season. Obviously, if it isn't, I think Nigel Pearson could be could be in trouble. I think he's done a fairly decent job this season. It's been a transition season, and he's managed that transition quite well. But again, you've got your top goal scorer in this game, for example, playing right wing back, um, which isn't ideal. I know they're probably down on personnel, but you just released Danny Simpson, for example. Um, you need to be playing your top scorer up in the final third of the pitch, not at right wing back. I think that would be one. One thing I would recommend to Nigel Pearson. Well, they've only drawn one game this calendar year and the rest have either been wins or losses. And I think that goes some way to talking about the inconsistency that Bristol Mm -hmm. City have had. Um, it, It is difficult to put a pin in how this season has been for Bristol City, considering they have got, you know, the bottom four who, for various different reasons, have just been largely off it compared to the rest of the division. But again, they're another side who would probably be in a relegation battle had it been a normal championship season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Pearson, still plenty of question marks over the job he's doing. I've always had my question marks over Nigel Pearson and the job he's doing at Bristol City. But it is a transition season. He's dealing with a young squad and hasn't had much in the way of um, budget in terms of strengthening it either, has he? So, um Jury's out, we'll say that. Blackburn got back to winning ways by beating Derby 3-1. Blackburn, of course, struggling for goals recently. They scored as many goals in this game as they have done this calendar year. Um, first off, they were very poor, Justin. Bradley Johnson was seemingly playing as a false nine. Um, and as far as potential false nines go, Bradley Johnson would be at the back of the queue for the whole division, I think, or around <laughs> there. Um, I'm not sure what that was about, but second half, Rovers were excellent, weren't they? Yeah, they really, they really were, uh, really were, and I was really impressed with how aggressive they were. They almost went to a four-two-four. Um, it felt like a four-two-four at times, which obviously when you get four players advancing in in wide areas in um, in wide and central areas in Derby's half, you can pin you can pin teams back. And for a team like Derby, like to play possession football, like to play it out from the back with that weird goalkeeping um, defender set piece that they have. Um, they're always going to have chances and, and, and I wouldn't say Derby um, gave Blackburn chances. Blackburn created those chances themselves by putting Derby in positions where they've got to fight for the second balls in midfield and unfortunately Blackburn did the better job of that in the second half. But as I say, yeah, really, really good turnaround and it's something that you can feel a little bit more comfortable in um, with, with Blackburn, especially with views to finishing in the top six. This was a really good second half and if they, again, they're a team that have got to carry that on into that next game and, and start that um, start the game at the weekend very very quickly well the introduction of Sam Gallagher at half time changed everything because it looked like Blackburn had a bit more of a focal point and they just added a lot more energy going forwards as well he scored a really nice header as well speaking of really nice headers Tyrese Dolan scored a header after a cross <laughs> from a short corner it's worth mentioning he's officially the smallest player in the division five foot four, scoring a header from a short corner how that's possible I'm not too sure um but this was the first league game this calendar year where Blackburn have scored more than one goal. And one would hope that it means they'll be more fluent in front of goal because Lord knows they need to be, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. The goals, goals win your games. It's something that we say very often on this podcast. They win your games. Um, and Blackburn obviously haven't been doing enough of that. And they've got to, they've got to mass that Ben Brereton-Diaz absence with more chances, creating more chances and getting the players like Sam Gallagher into that into good positions and, and one thing he is good at obviously is his size is, is heading the ball. So putting in deep crosses at the back post um is always a good opportunity. And not only that, but getting players like Bradley Dack in the game in the final third because 
I wouldn't say his, his cross for the second goal was really, really good, but it shows you that he can he can deliver. Um, uh, and obviously, they're, they're always going to be a side who, who create chances. It's just about putting them away. They've got Reading away this weekend, which from a Blackburn perspective, you'd have thought has to be three points. Same old narrative with Derby. Away form is shocking and... It's going some way to undoing, undoing all the hard work they've done to bridge the 21-point deduction. Yeah, pretty much um, spot on. I thought they were brilliant in the first half. The Tom Lawrence missed just before half-time. I think if that if Derby go in 2-0 at half-time with Blackburn's um, lack of uh, potency in front of goal, I think Derby run out the winners, to be honest with you. Um, and I think you've got to, you've got to question um, the management and the players for, for their game management. I think... You can almost give them a free ride because of everything they've they've suffered this season. Um, but you've also got to criticise where things need to be criticised. And I think that the game management in the second half was was really really poor. I thought Colin Cassian Richard should have been brought on a bit earlier to beat Blackburn's high press because Blackburn, Blackburn set their their stalls out very very early um, and they just didn't adapt Derby. And for me, that's why they they lost this game. Their their game management. As amazing a job as Wayne Rooney has done this season, there's got to be a lot of questions about how he sets his team up for away games because, what is this, is it seventh loss in a row now on the Mm. road? Maybe even more. Um, The tactics have certainly come under question and rightly so because they have looked so, you know, shocking away from home, quite frankly. I don't understand why Festi Abaselli doesn't start more away games because you'd have thought if Derby are going to sit with a deep line then you'd want someone like Eberselli to you know start the counter-attacks and be the person you look to to break but he doesn't seem to fancy him in away games for whatever reason um so yeah it's it's a real shame with Derby because as I say it does look like it's undoing their you know hard work they've done to uh, overcome the 21 points deduction and it's you know costing them right now isn't it It really is costing Mm -hmm. them Um, and also Colin Kesson Richards who you just mentioned there was stretched off in this game one would assume that is probably his last game in a Derby shirt now because it looks like it's a fairly serious injury unfortunately Um, quickly then Justin I'm just wary of time um, relegation battle what are you saying I think that's Derby down I think Barnsley left it a little bit too late um, and and Reading have got enough to to stay out of it for me. Um, I think they'll ground results out. Like I say, yeah, I think Reading are in the driving seat. Derby pretty much down now. I can't see their away form improving, which is proving to be the sticky point for them. I don't think they're down yet. I would definitely disagree <laughs> with that. But now, because Reading got that good point against Bournemouth, bit more encouragement from them. Um, and Barnsley are just in superb form at the moment. Before I was, you know, in the thinking Derby were just slightly edging it now I'm looking at it thinking it's 33% Derby 33% Barnsley 33% Reading and the 1% for Ball, uh, for Peterborough um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just I, I honestly can't call it right now I honestly can't call it it's so difficult really really is uh, Justin let's have a quick break after that we'll focus on the race for the playoffs Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, Justin, don't you hate it when it's a Saturday afternoon and you can't go to a game, but you want to watch it? It's a real nightmare, my friends, but there is a solution. What is the solution, Ryan? Well, have you heard of a very handy device called NordVPN? 
I haven't heard of it. What is NordVPN? Justin, NordVPN is the gift that keeps on giving. With NordVPN, you can change your virtual location on your laptop or whichever device you want to use, change your virtual location, and then watch your side wherever you are in the world. It's not just football. You can watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or any other streaming service and their content from different countries, meaning you don't have to wait for it to be released in the UK. Also, when you're out and about, NordVPN protects you from those horrible, horrible hackers when you're using unsecure public Wi-Fi. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by heading to nordvpn.com and using the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs less than a pint, so you may as well give it a go, might you? Just in playoff time. A big game between two real contenders finished. Forest 3, QPR 1. A stunning performance from Forest this. I've seen some Forest fans say it was the best performance they've seen in decades. Not sure if I'd go that far, <laughs> but they were brilliant here. You'd struggle to find a Forest player who didn't put in at least a 7 out of 10 performance. Yeah, they were fantastic. I watched this and um, I was quite taken aback at how good they were, how creative they were. James Garner, for example, in midfield was... You could you could have put ten midfielders in QPR's team uh, and have a ten man midfield against James Garner and James Garner would have still dominated it. He was he was absolutely brilliant. Keenan Davis was a was a monster. The back the back three was efficient. Um, so so good. And you know we're not even talking about Jed Spence either uh, at this point. They were they were brilliant. They were ruthless. They were um, they were creative. Yeah, on a, on a really damp night as well, which can make the pitch difficult to play on um they they really really took the game to qpr and qpr were, were resorting to cynical fouls left right and center and almost trying to get a player sent off that's what it felt like they felt like you were, they were 10 nil down on fifa that's what it felt like they were trying to get the game abandoned um it was a really really good performance from from forest really really impressed with them really really impressive jed spence scoring a worldie from 30 yards out what a what a strike justin what a strike um <laughs> A pivotal result for Forest, I think. Um, it's at the point now where I struggle to see a top six without Nottingham Forest in it. I think this is their best chance of going up. They've had since they got relegated from the Premier League. And as we all know, it's been a long, long time since they've been in the Premier League. But I, I'm even counting the Billy Davis days in that when I say the best chance of getting promoted. Because you look at this squad now, struggle to point many faults in it. They've had a few injury problems recently. Um, but I, I think they're still coping with them very well. You got Spence who's, you know, playing out of this world at the moment. He's gone from um, you know, Middlesbrough outcast to best right wing back in the division for yeah. my money. Brennan Johnson, we didn't even mention him just then, but he's been mm-hmm. exceptional again. Keenan Davis is knitting it all together. James Garner pulling the strings in midfield. Warrell at the back, solid as ever. I've got no issues really with this far side and Steve Cooper as always you know tactical tactical magician isn't he and the thing Mm. is as well if Forrest do indeed get into the playoffs you won't want to go into it facing Steve Cooper's boys will you because he's he's got the style of play that you do not want to come up against in um, over two legs do you because he knows how to set his team up and and he'll probably have learnt from his last two campaigns um, with Swansea in the playoffs and there'll be a sight of fear if if they do indeed get into the playoffs won't they? Yeah spot on Steve Cooper for my money um, if Forrest get into the top six 
Um, I think that makes that makes Forest favourites not only because they've got good players and a good side, but because of Steve Cooper. He's a he's a magnificent um, manager. He's, he's he's very good at managing games over legs as well. Um, so God forbid Forest get into the Champions League. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's, he's a top top uh, manager who who deserves a shot again at um, at the playoffs. Three three playoff finishes in three seasons. If Steve Cooper can get in the top six, I think's absolutely magnificent achievement. Yeah, it really is. Um, QPR just seemed to run out of steam here, didn't they? They gave Forrest a good game in the first half, but didn't manage a shot after the 48th minute. Um, they're also suffering a bit of an injury crisis. Uh, Senny Dieng and Linda Dykes were already out injured, but Chris Willock and David Marshall both went off injured here. Adding the fact that QPR are probably the most out-of-form team in the top 10, the problem's certainly racking up for Rangers, aren't they? Huddersfield's 17-game unbeaten run has come to an end. They lost 2-0 away at Millwall. Benekfobi with a very well-taken double here. I was saying in the weekend show how Millwall have been rather timid going forward in this unbeaten run they've had, but here they were amazing, Justin. It could have easily been 3 or 4-0 had it not been for a Lee Nichols masterclass. Yeah, I was thinking that when um, when I saw the stats for this game and, and I was watching the game back, I thought, yeah, I'm sure we said at the weekend that they weren't creating enough. And Christ Almighty, did they create in this game? They were they were yeah. sensational going forward. Um, they were they were a constant threat. And Benikafobe was a was an animal, um, and it just highlights his his quality at this level um, when, when he's on it because his finishes were brilliant. Both his finishes were absolutely brilliant. Um, so yeah, it was a really good performance from Millwall. One that maybe convinces me that they could that they could maybe sneak into the playoffs. They could make a late charge to get into the top six because that's that's the type of performances that a top six team puts in at this stage in the season against against a playoff rival, um, a potential playoff rival. That is, so yeah, it was a really really good performance from Millwall. I'm quite surprised actually at how how good they were. Well, two points off, Justin. Two points. If you said that to a Millwall fan two months ago that you'd be two points off at the end of March, then it's still very much up for grabs, isn't it? And I was looking at the table heading into this game week thinking mm, Mill will probably still a bit unlikely, but now it's wide open, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Spot obviously you've got QPR dropping points. Blackburn, I know they won, but they've got to put a run of form together, a run of performances and, and, and results together. And as I say, Mill will be licking their lips because there are a lot of teams in that top six um, or, or in and around the top six who have been out of form and lack the consistency that Millwall have had of late. So I think the ball is certainly veering towards Millwall's court, definitely. Well, could one of those teams that they potentially uh, replace in the playoffs be Huddersfield? Because this was definitely the worst performance we've seen from them in a while. And the thing is, we knew at some point this unbeaten run was going to go come to an end once he wasn't going to last for the rest of the season but this was a really really drab way for it to end wasn't it it was they still created a decent amount of chances I just don't think they were as aggressive or clinical as um, as Millwall were in the final third I think you'd, you'd look at this game in isolation um, you take the result out of it and you go yeah, we still created chances we still could have taken something from the game they weren't well beaten. Um, Millwall were very, very good going forward and created a hell of a lot of chances. And you're right in saying it could have been three or four, but Huddersfield also created chances themselves. Um, I just think Huddersfield shot themselves in the foot at times. You look at Jonathan Hogg, for example, giving the ball away for the first goal. He did the same thing um, against West Brom on Friday night, where he gave the ball away for, for West Brom's second goal. There are just moments that aren't quite going Huddersfield's way, and I don't think it's an issue with performances. It's something that needs to be addressed. 
um, and they've got a good opportunity to do it this weekend before going into international break to, to recharge um, next week. Well, we can't be too critical because obviously they were a bit unfortunate in the West Brom game at the weekend with exactly. controversial yeah. refereeing, but um, they weren't great against West Brom and I thought they were really poor here and you've got to be worried about the momentum coming to end um, they need to get a good result against Bournemouth this weekend without a doubt um, to get things back on track most importantly uh, but they have got a five point cushion on the teams outside the top six have played a game more than most of them I'd be concerned if I was a Huddersfield fan based off these last two games. Of course, it is just two games. So it's a small sample size and it's very um, a good result against Bournemouth could easily turn it around. Um, but four of their next five are against sides in the top 10. And I think this is the kind of run of games which could very well end up deciding their season. Um, Sheffield United's recent slump continued. They drew 0-0 away at Blackpool it was controversial Ronnie Norwood's had a goal disallowed he's had a shot from the edge of the area it's gone in after a deflection everyone's celebrating but then the linesman puts his flag up for offside saying Billy Sharp was blocking the goalkeeper's vision um, quick thoughts on that Justin I've seen the goal from the angle from the stands and Billy Sharp is standing right in front of Grimshaw so I would rule it out but it's taken two deflections so I don't really know where the phase of play restarts again because that rule is dead weird um so i don't really know how how that how that plays into it again it's one of those that perhaps if it goes to var it gets it gets ruled out um as well maybe but i think billy sharp is definitely standing in front of grimshaw he's definitely blocking his view he's literally parallel to grimshaw there's no way Grimshaw can see through Billy Sharp. I don't, I don't think he is, Justin. I, I think Grimshaw's mm. still got a decent view of the ball. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, because I haven't got it in front of me, but I think the if the way Nord's hit it, it may have come across sharp, but I think it's incredibly harsh to rule that out. As you say, it's taken deflections on the way in as well. There weren't many complaints from a Blackpool perspective either, from what I saw, so... I, I, Paul Eckenbottom was fuming after the game. He was also fuming because there was another goal disallowed in the first half, which he certainly wasn't very happy about. But the second one in particular looked very questionable for me. Um, but the decisions denied a Sheffield United win, which I can't exactly sit here and say would have been deserved. It was another job performance, and that's been in keeping with the last few games for the Blades. Yeah, been inconsistent. Obviously, that that win against Borough last week is a distant memory after the last two games. It is a massive surprise that they have dropped off um, in in the last two games, and it's something that needs to be addressed quite quickly. I think at some point this was always going to happen for Sheffield United because obviously since Heckingbottom took charge, he wasn't going to win every game, was he? Um, and there was always going to be a sticky sticky passion, a sticky spell, and unfortunately they're going through that now. Um, as I say, they might be a team that, that benefits from the upcoming international break so Heckingbottom can get them in because he's not had that chance yet. Obviously, he took charge after that second international break in November, third one, sorry. Um, so it, it's a good opportunity for him and, and a lot of the teams bearing in mind that to, to get on the training ground and to, to get that get a team together and... Um, get a good run of form going for the for the final final running for the season. Luton bounced back from their loss at the weekend by smashing Preston 4-0. You know how I always say Luton have a tendency to have that one bad performance in every five games. I'm starting to think that QPR loss may have been just that because Luton were well and truly back to their best here, weren't they? 
They were, and I don't think they created too many chances. Um, but they, as I say, I've said it quite a few times this, uh, in today's episode, they were just very clinical. And clinical in their passing, clinical, uh, well, probably a bit harsh actually on, on Preston to say that because obviously two goals were quite fortunate, but they got into those positions which which teams need to do. And um, they took advantage of those. You know, Luke Berry's, Luke Berry's coming to see, as I say, I think this game highlights the quality that Luton have as well. Luke Berry's coming to this game scored twice Jordan Clark very good ran the game um, from midfield Alan Campbell as well very very busy um, and the defence was was very sturdy it was a, a really good all round performance from Luton and again and one that you know beating a team like Preston who have been very good defensively 4-0 it's quite it's quite a marker yeah Luke Berry just Preston just could not deal with him. He got two goals here. Luton's fourth goal was very, very, very funny. Daniel Everson, volleyball, smashing the ball into Bambo Diaby's face. Um, great. I'm here for that all every day of the week. Um, but Luton now, table's looking very good for them. They've got a one-point cushion on the teams outside, which isn't a, you know, a massive cushion. But they're only... Six points off the top two. And I'm looking at the sides in the top six at the moment. Just You've got Huddersfield, Blackburn, obviously Luton and QPR. Huddersfield, Blackburn and QPR haven't been great in recent times. And dare I say it, Luton could very well be the team who give Bournemouth a bit of a challenge for the top two. I can't believe I'm sitting here saying it, but Luton have been one of the form teams over the past, what, two or three months could they challenge Bournemouth Justin I'm here for it uh, if they do I'm, I'm absolutely here for it I, you need to see teams uh, that's going to sound disrespectful I don't mean it that way you need to see teams like Luton who have a really small budget hitting it with the big boys because it, it just shows you that you don't need a lot of money to be successful in this division um, and Luton I think have, have, have been on record to say they've got the smallest budget in the championship and here they are sitting fifth just a few points off the top two go for it go for it show everybody that you don't need to break the bank and break FFP and sell your stadium to your chairman to get into the top uh, top league top division in the Premier League well as we say Bournemouth have got that horrible run of games and they, they need challenges for the top two to make it interesting at the moment Luton look like the one in there out of the queue of teams who are fighting for the playoffs who could very well be that team. <laughs> I mean, well, say, said that around December time, you'd have gone, what? But I wouldn't rule it out <laughs> because they are playing so well, aren't they? They've been brilliant recently. They've yeah. had the occasional hiccup here and there. But apart from that, there's a lot of W's for Nathan Jones's side, aren't they, in 2022? Um, quickly on Preston, the fans who made the trip to Luton are having their money reimbursed after this. Ryan Lowe apologised after the game and said it's a performance he wants to forget as quickly as possible and I completely understand, especially when your goalkeeper's volleyball smashing the ball into your defenders' faces. Um, Middlesbrough eased concerns about their away form by getting their first win in seven against Birmingham. 2-0 it finished. This was very, very comfortable, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a game that highlighted quality that's been missing for for Borough um, probably since probably all season. Actually, I thought the likes of Connolly and Balligan were very, very good. And Balligan, especially with his goal, was was brilliant. But it was a very comfortable game, um, and that's you know forgetting that McNair had a penalty saved as well. So yeah, it was it was a a, a straightforward win. I think you get for for Middlesbrough. It was quite quite simple, which is quite damning for for Birmingham City. Yeah, Birmingham looked really poor. I think it's safe to say their season can't end soon enough 
for Lee Bowyer, who's probably sick to his teeth about <laughs> various injury problems that he suffered across the course of the season. But Connolly and Balogun both played really well here. We've had a couple of question marks about whether they're doing enough for Middlesbrough, haven't we? But they were both really, really good here. Um, Anthony Van Dyke Steele was back as well to his very best, getting an assist for one of the goals too. So yeah, really, really good for Middlesbrough. Um, of course, plenty of concerns that we've had about um, how they've done away from home recently. Mm-hmm. Rightly so, um, but this was a good way to get around that, and hopefully, that'll mean that they'll be a bit more solid on the on the road as uh, the season goes on, because that's really where the problems have lied. Um, Coventry nil, Hall two. We questioned whether to reopen the door for a Coventry playoff push, but I think that door has been slammed shut straight away. Yeah, three defeats in the last six probably probably does that, um, and they were well beaten here against Hull. Hull nullified. Coventry quite quite easily and I think it highlights <laughs> Hull's pretty decent away record that's that's gathered under Arvaladze and um, perhaps Coventry's I mean lack of lack of first team staff as well is going to be a bit of an issue obviously pretty much the whole first team was, was away with Covid um, the management team that is uh, so that's not going to help matters but yeah it was um, pretty a pretty damp performance I thought um, and yeah one that Hull fairly deserved quite easily deserved the three, the three points Coventry fans will be fuming if we don't mention the controversy here. The main one was the shots that did or didn't cross the line. The Coventry Twitter account said, unbelievable, the ball's just gone two yards over the line and nothing's been given. Goal line technology says it was about two millimetres on the line. But I can I can understand why Coventry fans were very confused and angry about that decision because it did look like it had crossed the line but clearly clearly the technology showed that it hadn't just it doesn't get much closer than that Um, but any lingering worries about Hull getting dragged back into the relegation battle should have been put to bed with this you'd have thought I will put that out there Um, but also Jacob Greaves was excellent here for Hull (laughs) 21 years old has been a stand-up player at the back for Hull this season but he was really really good for them Cardiff 2, Stoke 1, Cardiff, impressive here. Cody Drame in particular was sensational, oh, yeah. I thought. The kind of performance that makes you think he's destined to be at a chop sh- top championship side next season, maybe Leeds. Um, but he's been really good since coming in for Cardiff, hasn't he? Yeah, he was brilliant. Um, I think Morrison said not too long ago that he's he's got just a ridiculous engine in him and it's quite easy to see. Um, and, and his influence on this game was was brilliant from from right wing back, and his quality of crossing is is there. His, his defensive attributes are there. Um, I think if he gets a full season this season, he probably runs the likes of Jed Spence and I Jones quite close. He's probably a more all round right wing back um, than the likes of Jed Spence and and and, and, and Isaiah Jones because of his defensive abilities as well. He's a top top player, and hopefully gets to see him in the championship, whether that's for Leeds or or somebody else. Um, also, Tommy Doyle, brilliant again. Mm-hmm. We've been saying that pretty much every week with him, haven't we? He's another one who I think some top championship sides may very well be looking back, uh, looking at to get next season. If Cardiff getting back, then that'd be an unbelievable move for them. Mark Harris played well. Overall, really good from Cardiff. It was exactly what you want to see before the South Wales derby this weekend. For Stoke, another poor result, which won't go any way towards appeasing those who want Michael O'Neill out. 
just the two league wins this calendar year. And finally, I just mentioned the South Wales derby. Swansea won 3-2 away at Peterborough. Despite the victory, Russell Martin was not very happy with his players. The first half, they were brilliant. Second half, they did their best to keep the game interesting for the neutral, (laughs) letting Peterborough back in it. But they did get the three points eventually. Um, Just very quickly, Justin, Peterborough's chances of staying up. Are they dead and buried? Is there a tiny bit of life in them? I think there is a bit of life in them, but again, I think it's with a view to next season. I think Grant McCann's done a good job in um, making them a better attacking side. Just defensively, they're still very frail. Um, I think McCann's done a he's, he's turned around things pretty pretty well so far, but there's still a long way for them to go. And I think they're pretty much down and out now. But as I say, it's just about getting things right for next season for for a promotion push in League One. Yeah, well, the seven points from safety aren't they? And when you've got nine games remaining. The ratio doesn't sound too good, does it? When you've, you you know, you've got just under a quarter of a season left, and in mm-hmm. the time that you've had so far, you've only picked up the twenty-three points. So the math doesn't work out that way. And also, it's been a long time since Pittsburgh have actually won a game. So um, you're asking for a miraculous turn of results for any chance of Peterborough staying up. Unfortunately, right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news, and this has caused a bit of a stir in some fan bases. I'm keen to get your thoughts on it, Justin, if you have any. It's been confirmed that Stoke sold their stadium to Bet365 for £70 million last year. It was being talked about at the time, but is now official after the club released its accounts for last season. The move was done a month before new rules came in, banning EFL clubs from doing it to get around financial fair play. Justin, anything to add on this? Yeah, it's a bit cheeky, isn't it? Um Again, it just it just makes a mockery of the EFL and, and those that govern it. Um, I know it was before the the um, the not the deadline, but for the, the rules coming into play to to make it illegal to do. Um, but as I say, it still makes a mockery of 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 every football team in the division. It it was the same when Derby did it, Sheffield Wednesday, Reading, etc. You know, it, it should have been outlawed um, and made illegal at that point. It wasn't, um, and Stoke have now benefited from it. But it, it it masks over things from a Stoke City perspective as well. Their 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 spending is scary. It is scary, and for them to have to sell their stadium to their owners and potentially put them in a similar position to what Derby are in now, fans should be worried. Uh, they absolutely should be worried. Forest midfielder Ryan Yates has agreed a new deal at the club to keep him there until 2025. His old deal was set to expire at the end of next season. Goalkeeper Jordan Smith has extended his contract until the end of next season. Justin Yates's new contract, a good move for Forest. For me, I'd say he's been the player who's improved the most under Steve Cooper. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, no, without doubt. Um, his goal record uh, since Steve Cooper took charge is, is ridiculous. He's, he's, he's a threat from set pieces, which... Um, I think Forest fans were saying he was absolutely hopeless at uh, before <laughs> Steve Cooper came in, um, and and now yeah he's he's turned around his game. He's a he's a very good all round all action midfielder defensively, very astute going forwards. is a goal threat. Um, I think he can only think some things he can improve on, um, but he's still at a good age where he can do that. So yeah, it's really good news for Forest and protecting their his value once again. Very good, very good academy um, graduate again. It's not all good news for Forrest, though. Defender Steve Cook and Max Lowe are both set to miss the next six weeks of the of uh, the season uh, because of injury. There's only about seven weeks left, so that's just about it for 
them at Forest unless, of course, they get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of speculation on this, but no confirmation has been made so far. But it looks as if Jason Malumbi is set to sign permanently for West Brom, according to the Express and Star. It's thought he's made enough appearances to trigger a clause, which means he will sign permanently. He's not one that's particularly impressed Baggy's fans this season. I think that's fair to say, but he is still young. Preston midfielder Ryan Ledson will miss the rest of the season because of a knee problem. The 24-year-old has been carrying the injury for most of the season, but will now have surgery to address it. Wales Online says Cardiff have settled a legal row with their former owner. Sam Hammond and current owner Vincent Tan have agreed an out-of-court settlement. Hammond was suing for £15 million in a row over the terms of the Cardiff presidency he was given by Tan nine years ago as a goodwill gesture whilst ending the historic and controversial £24 million Langston loan notes debt. The REIT said to be happy with the outcome. Um, this is an interesting one. Fulham's game against Fulham is uh, Forest. I'll start that again. Fulham's game against Forest has been rescheduled for the 26th of April. That's the second last week of the season, Justin. Usually won't include something like this, but it means Forest have now got four games in the space of 12 days um, right at the end of the season. Most other sides have only got two. Could it maybe have an impact? We'll wait and see. Barnsley's Callum Styles has been called up to the Hungarian national team. He's born and raised in Berry but qualifies through his parents. It's like an Eastern European version of Ben Brereton Diaz, Justin. Yeah, I guess it is. I suppose it's not happened sooner because I think of almost every FM save I've had for the last two or three years, he's played for Hungary at some point. So, yeah, it's about time it's happened. And he's, he's a talented player. And again, just adds value to him. If he can make his international debut, international player gets a lot of money if they, if they come to sell in Barnsley. Well, he also, I think, was eligible for Ukraine. As well, so he had his mm. had his options. Do you want to know another fact about him that I didn't know until the other day? Oh yeah, go on then. He was the first player born in the 21st century to play in the football league. It's mm, really not nice to hear <laughs> for your age. It's not, but yeah. it completely passed me by that. He was 16 when he uh, made his debut for Berry. And finally, remember Eric Alonso? He's the Spanish agent <laughs> who was in talks to buy Derby last year. He was told to provide proof of funds, and he infamously posted a video of a very nice house, which I assume was his proof. That turned out to be a video he'd taken from TikTok. Well. He's recently put on his LinkedIn page that he's part of the board of advisors at Charlotte FC in the MLS. Well, Matt Slater from The Athletic got in touch with Charlotte FC to see if this was true. They replied he is not associated with the club in any way. So Eric Alonso, ladies and gentlemen, still out there doing bits. Right, now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Oh, Eric, what do you like? Yes, Mr. Bartender, this is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, I'm giving Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is guess who it is. It's 12-9 myself for the season. Now, Justin, I don't want to put any pressure on you. Actually, that's a lie. That's exactly what I want to do. (laughs) But I've done a bit of maths. If you don't get this right, then you can't win for the season. You can still draw... But the only way you can beat me is by getting all of them right from now until the end of the season and also me getting a few wrong in that time as well. So no pressure, mate. All right. I don't feel any pressure. It's It's been a season, you know, I've been ill at times. I've had a, maybe a couple of weeks. I love I've excuses been here. Do you want the first clue? <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> I've made 256 championship appearances, scoring 11 goals. Ooh, that is... That is a defender. I'm going for Sol Bamba. 
defender, you say. Interesting. It's not Sol Bamba. Um, surely he's made 256 and he's made more than that. I, he spent some time. He was at Leicester and Leeds and obviously Cardiff. But yeah, he mm. had some times where he's been injured as well. So I, don't know. I will point out, actually, and this may be a bit of a clue. Maybe not. Um, when I found out this guy had made 256 appearances, I was amazed because I did not think oh. he played that much in the championship. Um, anyway, I made my professional debut in 2011 while on loan at Peterborough. 2011 on loan at Peterborough. It's um, uh, not really a clue. Were Peterborough in the championship at the time? Because they went down 09 and 10. They were. So they were. Um, uh, Christ. Uh Gabriel Zakuani. It's not Gabriel Zakuani, but good to hear mentioned. <laughs> My dad won ten grand after betting on me to play for Manchester United, which I ended up doing in the League Cup in twenty twelve. Oh not Chris Kirkland. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Kirkland's the first person you always think of when you when you hear that, isn't it? Yeah. Um Harry Wilson's done, Harry Wilson's dad did something similar as well. Um his dad won ten grand. He played for Man United in 2011. 2012. In 2012. Oh, so many players passed through. You know, Josh Harrop. It's not Josh Harrop. I've played for eight clubs at championship level, mostly on loan. Those loan sides include Ipswich, Blackburn and Wigan. <clears throat> John, there was a secret, eight. ladies and gentlemen. I don't think Justin Peach is going to get this. Oh. <laughs> Breaking eight the clubs. fourth wall. Eight clubs, most of them on loan. Um, he was he was made his professional debut at Peterborough in 2011. Um, he played for Ipswich. There's a lot of stalling going on here, ladies and gentlemen. He played for Ipswich, Wigan. Who was the other team? Ipswich, Blackburn, and Wigan. Blackburn. Next clue. Two left. The team I've played for most in my career is Fulham, even playing a couple of games in the Premier League. Um, so I reckon he, he may have passed through Fulham when they were really crap under like Kit Simons and Felix McGann mm. Co. Um, and I think he's, I think he's a defender. Hmm. Ah, 2011 at Peterborough. I've got to go back to that team, but that team had so many players that were cool heroes like Mikhail Smith and I, George Boyd. I would not focus on that team too much. I, to be to be fair, he's one of those players whose career has passed me by a bit. Hmm. Oh Christ! I, I don't know. Is that that Fulham? A Fulham clue. Eleven goals. Fulham's the club I associate him most with. Okay, give me, give me the, give me the final, the clue. last clue. Yeah, yeah, I now play for Portsmouth. I now play for Portsmouth. <sighs> oh, it's not ringing any bells, ladies and gentlemen. I've written a few things on Portsmouth this season. I cannot think of any bloody players who play for Portsmouth. Um. Oh jeez, that 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 should be the biggest clue. You know, a place for Bournemouth, uh, Portsmouth. <laughs> oh, what's up, Justin? No, not. 
It's on the tip of my tongue, Ryan. He's on the tip of my tongue. He is. You give it Ryan Tunnicliffe. Where on earth have you He's just pulled it. that out? He's done it. Oh my lord. <laughs> last minute. Get in. That is as last minute as it gets, right at the death. Oh. I can't believe you've just pulled that out of the bag. Yeah, had a spell at Luton as well, didn't he? Yeah, he had a short spell at Luton, didn't he? Oh, God. That was literally because he went to Fulham with Larnell Cole. Um, and Larnell Cole was a much better prospect than Tunnicliffe at the time. And <laughs> and Tunnicliffe made more appearances. Jesus, that was that was hard. That was worth it, though. That is, that is, that is literally I, I like watching your team score in the final minute. That was brilliant. I thought I you were stumped. Properly stumped then. Um, there we go. Late drama here in the Craig Bryson pub quiz. That means it's 12.10 to myself for the season. Justin is still alive and kicking, but he's got to pull out some miraculous results over the next couple of weeks. Cue him giving me an absolute stinker next week. But ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the weekend's games in the Championship and, of course, talk about some of the news from the past few days. So we look forward to seeing you then. And, uh, yeah, I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Picture the scene. It's 3pm on a Saturday, your team's playing away from home and you can't go. You're sat there wanting to watch your championship side play, but you can't get it on your telly. Well, fear no more, dear listener. Why not try NordVPN? NordVPN lets you access content from over 59 countries just by changing your virtual location. So essentially, your internet will think you're abroad and that means you can get access to the 3pm Saturday games from the comfort of your own living room. It's not just football, you can do it with streaming services as well. For example, I was on Canadian Netflix the other day and was watching the Shawshank Redemption. You can't get that on streaming services here. It's also useful for cybersecurity when you're on the move too. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier or use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs the same as a cup of coffee each month, so why not give it a go right now? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.